Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 20 of the Love Capades podcast. Last time, we heard the enchanting fairy tale in the garden about Michelle's lover, Jorge. Over the course of several years, this love capade taught her many love lessons. In the upcoming and final chapter, it will be fascinating to find out how Michelle ties up her series of stories in a perfect love bow. Here goes... Hi, everyone. The last chapter I've called Loose Ends. The arc of my life has been a spiritual journey, and love is the roadway that has carried me along. It's true that a real love story never ends. It may no longer be a part of your everyday life, but it lives on in your heart and in your cache of memories. It has the power to make you laugh, swoon, cry, pout, and ponder long after its story has waned. For whatever reason, several of the characters in my love capade life circled back for a redo over the years, once, twice, and in one case, many, many times. There can be a million explanations for this, but the most heartening one is that love is still alive. My very first, Bobby, is the perfect example. From the time we met in 1959 until this very year, he has appeared in my life in one role or another. We certainly share a checkered history whose spectrum ranges from love to lust to disappointment to anger and back again. As you may recall, Bobby married three times and never me. I rebuffed him the first time he asked, and then he snubbed me just before his third marriage, which was in 1986. Fast forward 20 years to the year 2006, and there Bobby was on my heart's doorstep yet again. I received a call from him one stormy night in February. He told me he was parked on a bar stool at a local watering hole in town and wanted me to join him for a libation. I threw on some gear and drove downtown in the pelting rain. Sitting side by side at the bar, sipping in a Manhattan, we did the catch-up dance. I was in the middle of a massive house remodel, and he was moaning and groaning about wife number three while extolling the virtues of his two sons. Eventually, the time came to leave. It was still raining like mad, so I offered to give Bobby a ride to his car parked several blocks away. It was then, inside the steamy car, that he ardently told me he was still, and always had been, in love with me. Once again, like the time he told me what his dying mother had said, I was confused. What was I supposed to do with that confession? On one level, it was flattering, but given our long, zigzaggy history, it was also irritating. I knew he wasn't going to get divorced, and I wasn't going to ask him to. 
what does this revelation prompt me to conclude about love? The essence of my answer is that love, true love, needs to be more about giving than receiving. As La Rochefoucauld said, true love is like ghosts, which everybody talks about and few have seen. I don't think Bobby's admission showed me much respect. It felt like the wily whine of a man who hadn't really learned how to truly honor a woman. And it felt as if he were toying with my emotions again. I must have always known that his was not a safe kind of love. Alas, the fact that he's still on my radar screen suggests that we still have karma to complete. And here to put a final point on why I was constantly put on tender hooks by his behavior is another love bite. The year I turned 60, I organized a big party of my girlfriends at a lovely home in Atherton by one of my real estate colleagues. I asked that there be no gifts, but that each guest would share a memorable story which featured the two of us. One chum took it upon herself to email people close to me who wouldn't be attending the luncheon. Somehow, Bobby got on that list, and this is what he emailed in response. Hi, Ellen. Sorry I don't have a funny, whimsical, or clever story regarding Michelle. We met in high school, fell in love, I think, and parted. Parted because of the male tendency to mature entirely too late to appreciate beauty and too late to recognize true intelligence and wit. I don't know if I am smart enough to understand the complexity and joy of Michelle, but I will always love her for who she is and what she meant to me. Bobby. I guess that sort of sums it up. (laughs) A subsequent rendezvous with Destiny a few years later in 2008 made me much happier. My Aussie friend Trish and I returned to Europe for another caper in our favorite stomping grounds, the south of France and Italy. We stayed for a week once again in the Colombe d'Or, the most divine hotel on the planet, in my opinion. It is an auberge like none other with Provençal charm extraordinaire coupled with a world-class collection of art strewn throughout the inn from the 20th century's most famous masters, Picasso, Matisse, Brock, Leger, Calder, César, and more. The artists would leave their artwork in lieu of payment when they were unable to cover their bills. Each room is unique and enchanting. The dining room replete with masterpieces jam-packed on every surface, and a gravel courtyard where one dines al fresco next to a vine-covered wall of more art, plus a view to the village beyond. Perhaps best of all is the intimate bar where patrons gather to sip cocktails and recount the adventures of their day. Next, we rented a car and headed to Piemonte, a region in northern Italy framed by France, Switzerland, and the Mediterranean, famous for its red wine and truffles. Our first lodging was a refurbished monastery in the beautiful countryside outside Torino. I had a light bulb moment when we checked into the hotel. I asked the receptionist, named Valentina, 
swear to God, to Google Nicola Comparetto, my long-lost Sicilian doctor. You remember the one I couldn't find to save my soul back in the day? With a few keystrokes, she produced not only his name and address, but his home phone number. It had been exactly 40 years since our romantic Storia d'Amore had indelibly imprinted itself on my heart. A million questions did lapse inside my head. The only way to get answers was to call him. It took me three full days and nearly a full bottle of Piemonte's best to find the courage to actually dial those numbers. I made Trish come back to my room to bolster my resolve. With heart aflutter, I picked up the receiver and dialed. Pronto came the reply. The entire conversation was in Italian, but I will translate it for you. I asked if this were the home of Dottore Comparetto. I'm the son, the voice replied. Is he at home? Just a second. Oh my God, I thought, what am I going to say? With his voice tickling in my ear, I said shyly, this is a voice from your past. I am Michelle. Immediately, he filled in the blank. Musi? It was as if he had kissed my name with both tenderness and love. Where are you? I'm in Piemonte on vacation with a friend. Are you coming to Palermo? He asked urgently. Not this time, I'm afraid. Then he followed with three amazing questions all in a row. Se ancora bionda? Are you still blonde? Se ancora bella? Are you still beautiful? And the third one. Se ancora robusta? Are you still robust? This last question made me laugh aloud. I'd never heard anyone use that word to describe my plumpness. It was the perfect word. If you look it up in a thesaurus, it says things like powerful, prosperous, vigorous, able-bodied, full-bodied, in good shape, in the pink, lusty, even wicked. No wonder I laughed. He had captured me after all those years in one word. And those three questions revealed so much of his recollection of me. Blonde, beautiful, robust. Nicola and I talked for a long time. He even complimented me on how my Italian had improved. But then he didn't know I'd returned a third time to live in Italy. And of course, I found out what his story was. Did he marry Marika, I asked? No, he hadn't married our little mafia shadow. He had three children and was still a practicing surgeon. In all of the flurry of emotion, I didn't think to ask him why he'd never come to California, something I regret as it still weighs on my mind. I explained that I'd become a businesswoman, married briefly, but had no children. It was clear he wanted to see me, 
but because it wasn't practical to drop everything and fly to Palermo, he gave me his cell phone number and the address at his clinic, just in case. Finding him after all those years was incredible. It made me happy and sad all at once. But then, isn't that the way with love? It makes us come alive like nothing else. It defines us. It describes us. It propels us forward. And it stops us dead in our tracks. It makes our world spin on its axis. What I've learned is that to attract love, we have to love ourselves first. Not in an ego way, but with the understanding that each of us is a unique and exquisite being created by the divine. We deserve to be loved, but to achieve that, it's important to make ourselves lovable. Remember, you will not receive love by begging for it, but by being it. Also crucial is that you actually leave a space in your life for someone to love you. If you aren't available for it, to a likely sail on by. I still have more to learn about how to love well and how to be loved in return. Meanwhile, I have to say so far, I've been blessed with a life full of love in its many forms. And as Muzzy used to say, hope springs eternal. As for the intention of connecting with my soulmate in this life, which I stated at the start of the book, that desire is vibrating at a high frequency now. As I've revisited each experience of love, my heart has expanded more and more. I can feel that the energy of that new love has already arrived on my doorstep. All that needs to happen now is that I open the door. To that very point, one last loose end is worth sharing. Once I'd written the story about Jorge, my fairy tale gardener, I couldn't stop crying for one thing, but also wondering what was up with him. So I found the last phone number I had, took a deep breath, and dialed it. Wonder of wonders, he answered. He told me that he had found a wife and that he had a fourth son. But he said, I'm single again. And he still lives close by. Yes, Dad, hope springs eternal. Wow, Michelle, what I love is the title of this final chapter is Loose Ends, as if you're going to tie them all up. But they're not tied up. <laughs> they remain quite loose. <laughs> So is it true that a real love story never ends? I think that's absolutely true, Sally. True love, when it comes, when it makes a visit, when it visits you, is often exciting. Sometimes it's disappointing, but it is always with you. It never, ever leaves. Even if you never see the person again, never speak to the person again, it lives in your heart. And I think that it's true that love really never does die. Isn't that lovely? 
It is lovely, and everyone often talks about Mr. Right, but you're talking about true love. And if Mr. Right is just one person, aren't you lucky that you experienced true love in more than one person? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I may not have found my perfect soulmate yet in this life, but I have had so many extraordinary love experiences. I feel very blessed. And that they come and go and keep circling back. I mean, Bobby, your relationship with Bobby truly lasted your entire life. So what more can you tell us about that? Well, again, it's I really feel that our karma is not finished yet. He came into my life when I was 13 in 1959, and he continues to reappear. And I have experienced every kind of emotion around that relationship. Love, you know, adoration, infuriation, (laughs) disappointment, confusion. Every emotion that you could attach to love has shown up in my relationship with Bobby. And right now we're kind of on the outs, (laughs) but who knows? You know, life isn't over. And there probably will be one or two more chapters with him. Well, this last chapter, I mean, Michelle, after 47 years, I think, after you had met, he showed up again. He told you he still loves you. And what did you conclude from that confession from him? Well, again, this is part of the convoluted complication of our relationship. Here I am far down the road from when I had met him. He is married to his third wife. He shows up in town because he traveled a lot with his job and lured me down to this fancy bar. And it's pouring rain. So there we are. And because his car was parked quite a ways away, I volunteered to take him to his car. And when he said again that he was still in love with me, part of me was, you know, complimented, touched, and part of me wanted to punch him in the face again. It's like, why did he toy with my emotions that way? He had done it many times before, particularly that time when he said his mother's deathbed wish or suggestion was that he marry me, and then he goes and marries the secretary. So it's like, was that really very loving of him? I don't think so. Well, then what about that email he sent you on their 60th birthday? I mean, that that sounded very loving. How did that make you feel? <laughs> well, again, confusion. You know, I mean, I think he, he really did. It, maybe it was a fixation, but I don't think it was true love. Because I don't think he had ever learned or has not yet learned in this life that loving is more about giving than receiving. I don't think he really quite has figured it out yet. And I kept being the person he toyed with. It felt like he was toying with me, even though he said those beautiful words. Maybe he was right. He wasn't smart enough to really get me. (laughs) And remember, getting me is something that happened once in a while, but rarely in my experiences. Right, right, right. So then I love the story when you and your pal from Australia, Trish, go back to Europe. And oh my God, that amazing hotel you stayed in in France. What a divine sounding place. Tell us more about that. You know, I've traveled a great deal in my life and stayed in many very beautiful hotels. But this place, the Colombe d'Or, and that in French means golden dove. 
And many of you know that doves mate for life. Anyway, that's just an interesting little aside. This is the most enchanting spot on the planet Earth. And it is full. It is like going to the National Gallery or the Metropolitan Museum in New York. Because the artwork is by all of these 20th century masters, you know, from Picasso on down, who would stay at this place, and they couldn't pay their bills, so they left artwork. And it's always astonished me, well, the two times I was able to stay there, that this artwork, you know, robbers could show up and take it off the walls very easily, but it's never happened. And so, I don't know, there's some sort of magic about this place. But I love that they paid their way by leaving their artwork. That's a charming. They did. And they were masterpieces, masterpieces. You know, and what I would say to every listener, if you ever, ever have the chance to go to the Colombe d'Or in Saint-Paul-de-Vence, which is in the south of France, take the opportunity. It is literally sublime. I will take you up on that. So then you made your way back to Italy, and you checked into what also sounds like another beautiful country hotel, and this amazing thought came to you. Tell us about that thought. Well, it was just, again, you know, I believe in these light bulb moments, as as I kind of call them. You know, it's something that just occurred to me as I was checking in to this beautiful refurbished monastery out in the countryside. And there was this very attractive young woman who was a receptionist. And I said to her, could you please Google this name? And she did. And there it was. Nicola's name, address, and phone number. I mean, come on. (laughs) And you had tried this before and you couldn't find him, right? Well, I, I had tried to find him when I was, you know, many years before when I was in Rome. But this was a new era. This is an era of the internet. so. You know, finding him would be a lot easier, and I just had never done it from home. But when I got to Italy, and I just thought, wow, I wonder if I can find him. And I did. And then I did find him. Then what happened? Well, okay, so fast forward. So, you know, we're on vacation, we're traveling around Piemonte, checking out the wineries and all the beautiful things there are to see in Piemonte. And I knew that I wanted to call him, of course, but I was scared to death. So it took me three full days to screw up the courage. I love that phrase, screw up the courage. And almost a whole bottle of red wine, which, as you recall, when I first met Nicola back there in Florence, I would drink a whole liter of wine every night. I had to have a whole liter of wine again. I dragged Trish back to my room, and I dialed the number. And then as I as I repeated in the story, he came on the line, and it was magical. It had been 40 years, but it felt like 40 minutes. And when I said, this is a voice from your past, Michelle, and then he said my last name as if he were, he was just in adoration and disbelief. What's so amazing is the way he described you when he asked those questions about you. Well, it proves, doesn't it, that he had read me all along, and here he had never forgotten. And so those three questions were just 
adorable. Are you still blonde? Yes. Are you still beautiful? Yes. But the last one was the corker. Are you still robusta? And as I said already, no one had ever used that word to describe me. And it was the perfect word. And when I looked it up later, I was astonished at the definition because it turned out that he, that one word captured me perfectly. And here he was, all those years later, still recalling who I was. It just felt exquisite, actually. Well, looking back over the episodes of the entire book that you shared with us, he really stands out as one of the true, deep love affairs you had. And I'm wondering how much of that is because he really got you, Michelle, and how many lovers that you had really got you, I might ask. You know, not many. And I would say he was one of them. The banker was another. And, you know, there might have been one or two others, but it didn't happen very often. And I think, to be fair, it doesn't happen very often in anyone's life that you are totally understood by another person. And in this phone call, it sounded like he really was urging to see you. Did you ever hear from him again after that? I know the circumstances weren't right this time, but what happened after that? Well, it's interesting you asked that question <laughs> because that was 2008. So now let's fast forward to 2020, this crazy, crazy year we've just lived through. and. In revisiting that whole romantic episode to prepare to make the podcast, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I still had questions. You know, I still had some unresolved stuff. So I went to great lengths. And I mean, when I want something, I'm like a little dog with a bone. Very persistently did I pursue being able to contact him. I, I mean, it went on and on. I even... I tried LinkedIn, and I found a young woman with the same last name who lived in Sicily. I reached out to her thinking she might be related. She wasn't. But anyway, I just tried all sorts of things. And finally, finally, the cell phone number that he had given me in 2008, it finally worked one day. And so I was able to speak to him. and. Then I asked for him to send me his email address because it was sort of hard to understand over the long distance and all that. So he sent me his email address and we emailed back and forth for weeks and weeks. Wow. Wow. And yeah. you're not going to tell us anything about what was in those emails? Well, all right. So I will. <laughs> you're going to save it for the next bonus episode or something? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll share some of it. So the unfortunate thing about this is that the email address he had was a family email address. Uh-huh, for everybody who would read it. So everybody in his family could read it, including his wife. And, you know, as he had said, he had not married Marika, but it turned out he had married a Polish girl. And they had been married all these years, and they had three very accomplished children, one of them was a nuclear scientist. One was a doctor. I mean, it was kind of amazing. But I couldn't get really too intimate with him because, 
It was like another shadow, like Marika had been a shadow. There was the wife in the background who was the shadow this time. So I didn't really, I mean, it was very lovely to have a conversation with him. And he still was a doctor. But I couldn't really get to the nitty-gritty of what I wanted to ask and have answered. Still, it was exciting. So speaking of loose ends, that's yet another one that's not completely tied in a bow. (laughs) You're right. I did forward information about the podcast and the event. He has somebody who could translate it for him. Oh, my God. I hope his wife doesn't listen to it. (laughs) I hope she does. (laughs) Oh, you naughty girl, you. That's (laughs) the wicked part of me. Well, actually, it was years ago, so we all have people in our past. But so just moving on a little bit, you spoke so beautifully in your, what I'm going to call your definition of love. You said a number of beautiful things to define love. Can you repeat some of that for us? Okay. So I said, love makes us come alive like nothing else. It defines us. It describes us. It propels us forward, and it stops us dead in our tracks. It makes our world spin on its axis. Just goosebump making. (laughs) (laughs) Goosebumpy. So, Michelle, this has been quite a journey, this Love Capades podcast and book. So what have you learned about love through all of this, Michelle? Well, that's a big question, Sally. (laughs) I know. I've learned a lot of wonderful things. And to be honest, I'm still learning. I can mention some of them. It's important, I think, that we love ourselves first. Because if we don't find ourselves lovable, it's hard for anybody else to find us lovable. So we need to find a way to become lovable. I think that's an important lesson. And again, I've said it more than once in the book, you won't receive love by begging for it, but by being it. So you have to know what love is and exhibit love toward others. That's when you will be loved. I think it's also important, particularly in my case, to leave space for someone to love you. And I'm not sure that I always did that. And for whatever set of reasons, which I've discussed ad ad infinitum throughout the book, I'm not sure I left enough space for someone to love me. You know, and hopefully now I've learned that it's important enough to do that. So the next lesson I learned was that you need to want the best for your beloved, not to be selfish. But put their well-being above your own. And that is a very important lesson, I think, for people to, to contemplate. And lastly, let me say that, again, love never ends. It never ends. It's always there. And I think that that is a beautiful, beautiful sentiment, that love never ends. So the act of writing the book itself, I'm wondering, did that help you learn some of these lessons that you just described? I've always maintained that writing is a way of self-discovery. It's a way to learn about yourself. 
And as I wrote these many experiences and they came to life again, I reflected upon them and what they meant in my life. And that proved to be a very fruitful exercise. And so, yes, I would have to say I learned a great deal about myself and about love by writing this book and sharing it in in this podcast form. It's been a thrilling journey, really. Another adventure. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a journey as listeners, I have to say, also. So I guess the big final question, truly, Michelle, is, hey, to put you on the spot, my dear, but what's next for you? (laughs) Well, I have to say, the door is open. The door is open for love. I started off by saying I wrote the book to create a vibration that would attract love. And that vibration is humming away. It's really, <laughs> it's really hot right now. And one of the funny things I realized recently is that I might even consider trying one of those dating sites now, something I never thought I would do, but I'm considering it. And I have this overwhelming feeling that something extraordinarily wonderful is about to happen. That's what my heart is telling me now. So what could be better than that? What could be better than that, Michelle? Not much. (laughs) Stay tuned, everyone. And I want to thank Sally for being my partner along this wonderful journey of making the podcast. And it's just been so much fun. And I hope that you listeners have had fun too. It's been quite the honor, Michelle. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, we make a great, great partnership. And it's not exactly a love capade, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's a ciscapade. It's a ciscapade. Thanks, Sally. (laughs) See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by StudioPod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com. <laughs>